Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. In today's special episode, we sat down with Arthur Herman, senior fellow at the Hudson Institute and director of the Quantum Alliance Initiative. He sheds light on the innovation race between the U.S. and China, the ongoing microchip wars, and where our data is actually going. Arthur, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. It's great to be back. So I want to begin with Chinese leader Xi Jinping securing his third term after their 20th Party Congress, the biggest political event in China. So after this, how do you see innovation between the U.S. and China changing or will it change? Well, I think what you're going to see is probably uh, a much uh, chillier atmosphere in terms of U.S.-China cooperation on a range of uh, technologies, but also scientific cooperation as well. Um, I think it's a chill that we've been waiting for. Some of us have been advocating from our end. But I think you're also going to see now uh, Xi Jinping also being very reluctant and, and moving away from depending on uh, non-Chinese sources and non-Chinese uh, companies for the kinds of technologies that he sees as being part of you know, the, the, of, of China becoming the global hegemon. In other words, a much more of a, a homegrown industries, homegrown technologies and innovation uh, within one country uh, approach to this. But it's going to be challenging, I think, Tiffany, because of the way in which you saw him talking about where China is going and where he wants to take uh, the CCP and its relation with China society and economy as a whole. And that is that he seems to be much keener on the idea that we've got to get back to our socialist communist roots. That in other words, the very uh, trend which has been so important to the growth of China's affluence, its integration into the world economy, namely its embrace of capitalism, right? Its ability to operate in a free market uh, global system, it, even if only tactical, but it has been a huge part of what it is that it's made China uh, into, you know, the, the economic juggernaut it is. On the cusp, it seems of becoming the largest economy in the world. Um, and what you saw in that, in that, that, that vivid and chilling um, video clip of his predecessor being marched off, off the stage, out of the building like that. His predecessor was the one who really saw the importance of private entrepreneurs, of the private sector in China, the non-state-owned entities and corporations, that this should be the, you know, the driving engine of China's, of China's growth, uh, both as a, as, a, as, a, as a world power, but also for China's own prosperity and raising of standard of living. So it almost was, I think it was sending a very chilling signal that the days of freewheeling or relatively freewheeling uh, Chinese uh, private entrepreneurs, the Jack Ma's and the, uh, you know, the, 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 the bold innovators within China who've developed uh, some very impressive companies and technologies here, that they are now going to be carefully reined in, that they're going to have to really follow the dictates of, of Chairman Xi and, uh, and, of the communist, uh, and of the Communist Party. And that, I don't think, bodes, bodes well, really, 
for China's long-term future. And on that note, Arthur, it does seem that China's economy lately hasn't been going very well. There's the real estate crisis. There's, you know, the zero COVID policies, which is hitting our manufacturing lines. Like I, Apple iPhones are now a lot of them being manufactured in India. So with our international economy so intertwined, how do you see China's push away from the economic focus impacting us? Well, it's going to be interesting. I don't think, uh, I think these are, uh, these are bumps in the road for sure for China and for Xi Jinping's great plans for where China's going to go. The whole, you know, sur sur upsurgence of COVID and the lockdowns, all this is not good. It's not good for China's future. It's not good for building strong support and loyalty to what Xi Jinping's trying to accomplish there. But at the same time, I'm not someone who's really swayed by those who talk about, you know, the coming collapse of China or that these are, you know, it, these are administering mortal wounds uh, to China's economy or even to Xi Jinping's regime. But they are cracks in the system, which he is gonna have to fix. And what I think and what I think the Chinese should worry about is that the fix is going to be more coercion, the use of more force and more dictates from the, the, the Central Committee uh, and from the and from the, um, uh, the, the the dictates, the dictates of Chairman Xi and the way in which he wants China to go uh, according to his plans, not those not those of, uh, of the Chinese people. And Arthur, given these cracks in the system, it seems there's almost an opportunity for many countries, including America, to really move their supply chains out of China. Do you see that happening? I, and if so, what can we do? I think you're absolutely right. And as you mentioned, the fact that Apple is moving some of its assembly of, uh, of his iPhones to India, um, maybe they won't come back. Uh, maybe that will, it's an opportunity now to find a different place in which to offshore uh, Apple's assembly of iPhones in ways that it will have run less political risk and also less of a risk to us as a country of having, you know, a major parts in, of our industry, uh, of our leading companies uh, in the grip of Chinese authorities and even being obedient and compliant to the requirements of the Chinese Communist Party uh, and its uh, military and intelligence services. As you know, uh, Apple has been one of the companies that has, that has been carefully, has been carefully uh, kowtowing to those dictates up until now. But now maybe they're beginning to realize, and others uh, like Foxconn, that maybe having factories in China and doing all that kind of work there, um, you could actually find workers who will, you could pay less, but who will be more reliable and a government will be more cooperative in the future. Um, that's what we're hoping will, hoping will happen from this whole uh, COVID upsurgence episode in China right now. And Arthur, you mentioned earlier how with this kind of chilling atmosphere in China, it could actually impact Xi Jinping's own goals for the country, right? And it seems on the U.S. side of things, President Biden recently cut off China's access to high-end advanced semiconductor or microchips, which are used in a lot of things. So how do you see this playing out between the two countries especially? Well, I think the Biden administration is now getting the message. 
And that is, is that uh, in dealing with China, that it's important to realize that we need to decouple not just our dependence on China, but also China's dependence on us. Because the more technology that they take, the more technology they acquire from us, simply goes to build their national power and military power in ways that are entirely antagonistic and antithetical to our interests here. That, that, that international, uh, uh, the, the, the international economic cooperation and technology cooperation with China isn't leading us to a point of convergence, of finding shared interests. It's having the opposite effect. And that the more that interdependence is turning out to be a tool by which those who are bold enough and strong enough to use and manipulate that relationship to their national advantage in ways that are really injurious to the interest, not just the United States, but I would say of our allies and of the cause of freedom everywhere. And I think the Biden administration is beginning to realize that. You know, the Trump administration really kind of pioneered this approach in dealing with Huawei, but saying, you know what? We're not only not going to buy Huawei equipment anymore, but we're also going to deny Huawei, the, tech, the, the telecom giant, we're going to deny them access to our technologies that make them stronger, that make them such an important pillar of China's uh, 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 goal of becoming you know, a global hegemon, replacing the United States. Now that's beginning to, now the Biden administration is beginning to take the lesson from the Trump administration, what we were trying to do there, it is now applying it to first to semiconductors and semiconductor technology, not just their access to that to the the, the microchips themselves, but also to the technology, even, even Americans working in those factories and in those facilities, um, that we're bringing a stop to that process. But now also, as I mentioned in my Forbes column, uh, that there's now talk about expanding that ban, expanding that decoupling to artificial intelligence technology, as well as to quantum computing. These are all important steps, I think, in my opinion, important steps for making sure that what we do, what we, our innovations, our productivity, and so on, isn't being used to enhance not China's quality of life. We're talking about enhancing China's power in ways that are a direct threat to us and to our allies. That's the awakening that has now, I think, reached the Biden administration that we're seeing played out in, uh, in interesting and I think very constructive ways. That was Arthur Herman, senior fellow at the Hudson Institute and director of the Quantum Alliance Initiative. And after a break, we continue our coverage with him on what the microchip wars mean for our national security and what steps we should take now. That and more in just a minute here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. We continue our coverage with Arthur Herman, senior fellow at the Hudson Institute and director of the Quantum Alliance Initiative. What do today's microchip wars mean for our national security? And what steps should we take now to keep our edge? And Arthur, speaking of your Forbes article, you title it, The Chip War with China is Just Getting Started. So what, what do you mean by that? Where is this headed? 
Well, the chip war, what I'm referring to there is we're just getting started. First, in terms of getting our own semiconductor house in order by realizing how important it is to keep research and development, to build a strong homegrown semiconductor industry again, like what we had in the 1970s and in the 1980s, not depending upon foreign supply chains for those microchips. Um, but also, secondly, to coming to the, the way in which realizing that we have leverage in dealing with China and being able to deny them access to our expertise, to our designs, uh, to our innovations in semiconductor and microchip technology. But that that's just the start of what we really need to do if we're going to have a strong and secure semiconductor industry in the United States and one that we can work with our allies, we also have to get a handle on the raw materials that go into the semiconductors manufacture and fabrication. I mentioned, for example, copper. Copper is a hugely important material for semiconductor uh, production. Um, Chile, the country of Chile and South America, is the, the, the leading producer of copper. Well, guess who buys huge quantities of copper from Chile? And it really become a market maker in the copper. China. Likewise, tungsten. Well, guess who has become a major source for tungsten? Uh, China. And guess who is the number two source for tungsten? Uh, China's ally, Russia. So it's one thing to say we're going to produce semiconductors here, we're going to innovate, we're going to have a strong, vibrant semiconductor industry again in the United States. You can't really do that if all the components and the materials from which you make that product come from somewhere else, and particularly if it comes from someplace else that China controls or has uh, a major interest, a controlling interest in. So we've got to address that problem as well if we're really going to get to get really get to the uh, point where we're going to have a, uh, a semiconductor industry and a semiconductor sector that's really a strong and sustainable part of the U.S. economy and our national security. And Arthur, on that note, it seems it, you know, is an issue we see in many sectors, for instance, the green revolution, right? It's like we need um, cobalt, which is used in the lithium ion batteries, but that's from right. the Republic of the Congo, right? 70% of the world's cobalt comes from there, and then it's processed in China, and then polysilicon for solar panels, also from Xinjiang in China. So given all this that basically China has this chokehold on these materials. What are the steps we need to do then? Because as you mentioned, it is also a national security issue. So what are the steps we need to do? Well, there's a couple of things. Uh, and by the way, this is not by accident that China has come to control these raw materials. They're thinking ahead. They have been thinking ahead for decades about the strategic value of raw materials um, with, for example, uh, rare earths, uh, with a whole range of what we would call strategic strategic raw materials, and, and that, that having access to it is not only important for China, but also gives China leverage in dealing with countries like the United States, like Taiwan, right? I mean, Taiwan is the world's largest manufacturer of high-end semiconductors. Well, they get their raw materials from exactly the same place we do, or the South Koreans do, which means they, too, have to, have to 
work with China and are dependent upon what the access that China gives them to those raw materials here. Uh, that's a huge strategic advantage that China enjoys. What can we do about that? Well, I think there's a couple of things. One is, is that we have right here in this country, we have enormous resources that we can bring to bear, for example, with regard to lithium, that we can mine and extract, extract that can give us something approaching lithium independence. You know, we talk a lot about energy independence and how important that is as a national security, but also an economic security issue. Well, guess what? The same is true for lithium independence in a world in which we're going to be dependent more and more on uh, lithium ion batteries for electric vehicles, for a whole range of technologies. Being able to count on a lithium supply that is mined and manufactured and processed right here in the United States, hugely important, very important component for what we would think about in terms of a, of a national energy strategy, let alone in terms of where, where an advanced battery industry for the United States is going to be headed. The second thing is to begin to look for alternate sources of raw materials. And that means untapping and unleashing innovation, thinking about new ways of working, of, for example, developing advanced batteries that don't rely on raw materials that come from abroad or that particularly come from Chinese or Chinese-controlled sources. So it's a two-pronged approach. It's already at work, you know, in the advanced battery area. There's a whole series of new breakthroughs that are coming with this. Uh, and likewise, too, there can be a whole new, uh, whole new approach to where we get the raw materials for semiconductors produced in this country, produced by our allies like Taiwan and South Korea. We just have to get focused and start thinking creatively and managing effectively a, an approach that understands how important supply chains really are going to be for the future of the United States economy and for our national security. And Arthur, on the note, especially of the long-term strategic thinking ahead that China was doing in terms of these rare earth materials and minerals, it seems in one of your other reports, you also mentioned the U.S. is now awakening to the areas of artificial intelligence and quantum, right, and how we have to make sure China doesn't beat us there. So in all of these different realms, whether it's semiconductors or under Trump, like blocking Huawei and now also these newer technologies, what are the steps that we really need to be implementing right now so that we don't lose this edge? Well, I think in the case of, in the case of AI, uh, we... The, what we have, artificial intelligence and machine learning, I think we also, again, have to realize that the ways in which China's been able to help itself to many of our key technologies and, and, and scientific breakthroughs has to come to an end, that we, that we can't share information and knowledge with them by any means in the rate at which we have of having large numbers of, for example, Chinese doctoral and postdoctoral students studying in American universities, uh, that this is, this, this is a strategic advantage that China takes, is able to seize upon and has used in the past. We have to limit their access to that kind of advantage again. But you know what? In both in the case of AI and in the case of quantum, we've also got supply chain issues too. You know, quantum technology is going to depend on a whole range of different hardwares that go into the making of quantum computers, of making of, of quantum um, uh, random number generators, 
of the components that go into quantum communications? Well, let's think about where is that made? Where is it fabricated? Uh, is it in India? Is it going to be in China? We need to think ahead about that. And likewise with artificial intelligence. You know, artificial intelligence technology depends a lot on advanced semiconductors that are able to generate the large and complex algorithms that drive that drive machine learning programs and that make make artificial intelligence into the kind of powerful and effective uh, tool that it can be. Here again, we're back to semiconductors. How important it is that we have a source for semiconductors that support a growing and vibrant artificial intelligence industry in the United States and intel and artificial intelligence sector for uh, for our national security uh, institutions like the Pentagon, like the intelligence community, and so on. It's thinking more broadly. It's thinking outside of these as sort of discrete technologies and coming to understand that they're all part of a larger whole. And that uh, if we're going to be able to compete effectively with China, we're going to have to start thinking strategically about these issues in the way in which the Chinese have for a decade or more, and that we, we, have, some, we have some serious catching up to do in terms of how we understand those issues. Arthur, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. It's always been great to do it and happy to, happy to be here. That was Arthur Herman, Senior Fellow at the Hudson Institute and Director of the Quantum Alliance Initiative. Thanks for watching China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. See you soon.